The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy March to you. So um, today we are going to talk about limiting beliefs and more specifically imposing limiting beliefs onto our dogs. But first, we're going to start with our quirky tip of the day. And what's going to be the quirky? You know, I wanted to mention that this is my birthday month. Oh, it is. Yeah, he likes to mention 58 years young. It's also our anniversary month. Never would have guessed. Five years strong, I guess. Oh, that's true. Strong. We did get married. Yeah. What's the... <laughs> Two days yeah, yeah. before your well, that's birthday. That's important, too. It all revolves around Scott's birthday. But happy March to everybody. So our uh, quirky okay. tip of the day today. You yeah, going to do it now? How's birthday this, boy? How's this limiting belief thing going to be turned into a tip for me? Okay, I'm going to do the tip of the day Tell here. Tell me your tip. <laughs> Birthday boy, he's getting a little bit of uh, dementia there as yeah, he purchased uh, 58. So oh, Mad dog. I what? mean, what's it called? <laughs> mad mad, mad cow. cow. We're just finishing Boston Legal. <laughs> I would strongly recommend in our lives right now to go back through and watch Boston Legal again. It's a very interesting time to be reviewing Boston Legal. But anyway, it's not mad cow. We want you to Quirky think tip of... of the day. Go ahead. <laughs> we're back. We want you to think of a limiting belief that you have for yourself. This doesn't have to be about the dogs, and we're going to get more into what limiting beliefs are and all this BS, but something that you think that you can't do or something that you won't do or something that you aren't able to do and something that's holding you back, and think about where that limiting belief comes from and uh, maybe how you can overcome it. Something that's preventing you from being your very best version of you. Yes, that's what we often say is we're trying to be our best selves and we're trying to make each other uh, So how our does best this selves. relate to dogs? Because that's really what we're all about here. Well, huh? first, we're going to talk about us because I like talking oh, about me. Cool. Let's talk about you. So um, we're being pretty mindful. We're getting a little bit crazy. We're meditating twice a day. We got the incense. We're doing a water fast. We're all into goal setting. We're in kind of a, you know, changing point of our lives. And um, this limiting belief thing comes up pretty often. And you hear Tony Robbins talk about it a lot. There's a lot of stuff. Brian Tracy, I mean, everybody talks about limiting beliefs. And really, it's what we're imposing on our own selves to prevent us from moving forward. And you came up with this, I think, on the treadmill the other day in relation to dogs. What was it? About limiting dogs' beliefs. Oh, well, I mean, it's people that are telling us, our clients quite often saying, my dog can't be in a crate. Uh, I can't walk my dog down the street because they drag me. Um, And by saying that, they're closing the door on actually making it happen. You know, they're just saying, this is the way it is, and I can't do it. And um, it's kind of hard to train someone to do something when they're already believing they can't do it, you know? Yeah, and I had this revelation on my own when I joined this, like, very pet doggy group, which, nothing against that, but there's 5,000 members, and the whole group was just you know, I can't clean my dog's teeth anymore. He won't let me do the front teeth. My dog can't be in a crate. My dog can't be left alone. And it's all these things that like, we're saying that the dogs can't do or won't do or will not do. And that's not really helping things move forward or helping the whole picture kind of synthesize. So the dog's getting, you know, the most out of its own potential. And you're also getting the best uh, potential out of your relationship with your dog. So for instance, if we're going to talk about our own beliefs, just like Scott was talking about and joking about mad cow, like if you were saying, like if you were too old or... Well, uh, I'll often say, uh, I can't remember anything rather than trying to work on, 
my memory and, and taking some notes and doing, th doing things to um, be better about remembering things. Yeah, and some know? of that is some NLP stuff, some neuro-linguistic programming about how we're talking to ourselves. Yeah, the and language how that we tell ourselves. Talking about our dogs and everything else. But these limiting beliefs that we put on ourselves or that other people put on us, it's funny, actually, this sweatshirt um, is from the World Finals from 2002. I was going through a big binge phase and getting rid of a bunch of stuff and trying to, you know, be all Marie Kondo here. And uh, I'm like, I don't know why I have all this stuff in bins. Either I wear them or I donate them or whatever. Well, I saved this. And this was a sweatshirt when I was uh, 15. I was the youngest person ever to be invited for the world finals of Freestyle Disc. And the way that that whole path started for me was I was seven and I wanted to do stuff with my dogs. And my mom would take me to obedience trainers and they'd say, she's too young. We're not going to deal with her. We don't want to do it. And then agility trainers, no, we don't work with kids. She can't do anything. She won't be able to you know, progress along with the dog as she needs to. And then I got into Frisbee because there was no age limit and people were really accepting. A and lot of pedophiles in Frisbee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's why I got into Frisbee. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah. Let's see how mindful we're getting and how thoughtful we're becoming. Um, so I, 15, you know, I, now people have broken that record and now for agility, there's junior world teams and we're empowering the young and everything else. But that was a limiting belief that other trainers had put on me. And had I just accepted that and said, oh yeah, okay, well I have to wait. I'm too young. I may have never gotten started on the path that I was. And I probably certainly wouldn't be wearing this damn sweatshirt. So don't let yourself impose limiting beliefs on yourself or other people impose them onto you. And we're going to get a little bit more into this dog thing because obviously we're the quirky dog podcast. We're not quite ready to have our own like mindful Tony Robbins empowering podcast, but that may be coming in a few years here. Um, so what you're doing and how you're talking about your dog and what you're listening to what other people say about your dog really impacts the dog and the relationship and the ability for the dog to move forward. So you were mentioning it with breed specific um, beliefs as well. We talked about bite work, uh, you know, on the way up here, and that's like the protection stuff. Yeah, doing protection sports and. You know, when I first got involved in that stuff, I had a dog that was not the appropriate breed for that activity. And I went to a couple of clubs and they said, you can't use that dog to do this. You need to get yourself a German Shepherd or a, a Malinois, you know, typical biting dog for that sport. So rather than trying to pursue it uh, with the dog I had, I went and bought another puppy uh, to do it. And uh, since then, and I allowed them to tell me you can't do it, and I accepted that as the way it is, you know. But since then, uh, we have a border collie that I started to train to do some bite work, and we were able to actually compete with that dog on a lower level. And he did pass the um, the trial, and uh, he was able to do it. You know, he wasn't working at the highest level like a dog that was bred to do that. But I was able to have some fun with a dog that um, doesn't typically do that kind of stuff. So it was enjoyable for me, and it was enjoyable for the dog, too. Yeah, and we're not saying go out and get a Mastiff or a Border Collie if you want to do bite work. I mean, obviously get the right tool for the job. You know, that's what they say a lot of times in competition obedience. But as far as, you know, a dog like Jimmy, who is Scott's Border Collie, who's, like, internationally renowned. He has, like, people from many countries sharing his videos. He has 25,000 views in his one video that he competed in. You know, people would say, oh, well, I won't work with a Border Collie. Part of that success was because he was Scott's dog. Scott worked him. I handled him. And we kind of nursed that along. But had we just said, oh, he's a Border Collie, he can't do that, we wouldn't have explored this side of him. And we wouldn't have opened up that side for other people to look at because cross-training is really important sometimes with dogs. You know, if your dog does a certain sport, they enjoy 
trying something new. You should, as a trainer, enjoy exploring something new. So don't let people say, oh, well, your dog can't do that because it's this breed or your dog can't do that because it's this. Now, obviously, if your dog is brachiophallic and all of this stuff, like you have to be, I'm not saying your dog should now go run marathons. Like, yeah, there are some limiting beliefs or some physical limits with dogs like that. Or the same thing, like, oh, my dog can't turn left over a jump because it has a shoulder injury. Yeah, that's not a limiting belief. That's your dog has a physical ailment. That's a different thing. But these emotions that we're projecting onto our dogs that we're pretending like, oh, the dog feels this way and that's why this can't happen. It's really important to address that and see where that's coming from within you because you're projecting that onto your dogs now and that's not fair for them. Yeah. I mean, and getting back to the handler, you know, and I've said this on this podcast once or twice, but we talk about uh, the competitive stuff and me as a handler in competition. And I've often said, I'll never be a high level uh, competitor because it's not my nature, because I'm not anal enough. And I have all these excuses why I couldn't be on the podium. And that's just me. Enter Jess. Well, it's just me, you know, putting that limiting belief on myself so that I don't even try. You know, it's like I go out and compete. Sometimes I do real well. Uh, to, To even pass trials is an accomplishment that in and of itself. And the main goal is to have fun. But... Uh, by saying, oh, I can't do it because I don't have the right personality to be a champion is just putting that, you know, it's eliminating that option so I don't need to even try to do it, you know? Yeah, and a lot of times it's the peer pressure that can limit our beliefs and, oh, well, what will other people think? And, you know, I don't feel this way because this person's going to be there and I'm inadequate. And it gets into a whole mindset thing that really is becoming a big deal as far as dog sports go. Like there is a lot of stuff like with handler mindset now where people are focusing on that. And it's just about... What are you telling yourself that isn't going to allow you to maybe reach your goals or maybe achieve more than you could? Like you want to hit potential here. You want to hit a fuller potential than just this baseline that we are giving ourselves and kind of keeping ourselves within these walls. So think about those things. Um, After the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about how it translates to your dog and also to your dog's behaviors and give you some steps to help work you through that. Okay. We'll see you then. Does your dog seem anxious? Would you like your dog to relax? Do you want to feel more in control? Would you like your dog to cooperate? HowToCalmYourCanine.com That's HowToCalmYourCanine.com over here. I like to have them close to us. There you go. All right. I'll have them for the end. Okay. So hope that you guys are maybe considering a limiting belief that you have, like we talked about early on and how you can overcome that, but let's get more back to the dogs and where all this came from and what you can do to work yourselves through that. So for instance, let's take the example, my dog can't be crated. Okay. Well, what does that mean? My dog whines in the crate. Does it mean that my dog rests better when he sleeps out of the crate? Does it mean that my dog won't eat his meals in the crate because he's protesting? Does it mean that maybe you don't want your dog to be in the crate? Like, where is this, my dog can't be crated? I mean, we've talked about this before on our crating podcast and previous times we've had one dog out of, I don't know, over a thousand that we've done together that couldn't be crated. Like, I just, I don't understand. My dog can't be crated. Okay. Well, where does that stem from? You know, and sometimes we talk about this, like peeling back the layers of an onion, like, 
Why, why doesn't he like it? Why, when did it start? Why don't you like it? Like sometimes you have to really ask yourself some questions to get to the root of the issue. But what is the issue? Like, what does that really mean that my dog can't be crated? And is it that he breaks out of crates? Okay. Invest in a more durable crate. Like we've talked about before, the Roughland Kennels are great crates. Crates. There's gunner kennels. There's crates out there made for this exact specific thing when dogs are just blowing through berry kennels and, you know, busting out of uh, wire crates and everything else. So maybe you just need to invest in another crate. Like where is this stemming from and where is this coming from and why? It's really kind of important to look at because we're so big on just like loosening up control everywhere. You know, I, my dog, he doesn't like this, so I don't do this. My dog doesn't like to go there, so I don't do that. We're just like catering to our dogs and dancing around our dogs, but it's to the dog's detriment at the end of the day. Like the dog doesn't want us to be catering to them all the time. The dog wants to have someone making the decisions. You always say that the dog's stressed out when they don't have a person to look to for leadership. Yeah, they don't want to have all these options, and that gets them more and more anxious, I believe. And uh, just think about your language, because a lot of this ties back into just the self-talk we have about, I can't do this, I can't do that. And um, think, you know, if you do want to do something, think about, you know, what could I do rather than what I can't do? And because that stuff, you, again, like I talked about earlier about the competition and getting on the podium, uh, you're closing the door on stuff, so you're not even going to try. And uh, if you say, my dog can't be in a crate, first thing you can do is get rid of the crate. Well, maybe, you know, depending on what the reasoning is there, uh, if you do want to make it happen, you can make it happen. It's just maybe you don't want it to happen. Maybe it's you don't want the crate in your house. Maybe it's taking up too much floor space, whatever the situation is. But get to the uh, the reality of the situation rather than just closing the door on all options because uh, it's kind of there's nowhere to go when you've closed the door on all options and as it relates to your dogs if it's you know I can't my dog pull I can't walk my down my dog down the street because he's going to lunge and bark and do all this stuff it's never going to happen if that's the attitude that you're going to bring to the situation I can't do this or my dog right. can't do this or my dog doesn't like other dogs so for instance my Malinois was attacked, um, I don't know, like probably a decade ago now by a few dogs at once. And it was really traumatic. And I didn't try to, you know, make him be friends with dogs again. He lived with dogs that were in our house and he could deal with that. But I wasn't like trying to make him social and, you know, running around and playing with playmates. However, that doesn't mean that now I should allow him to be blowing up at other dogs on the street. Like, oh, my dog doesn't like other dogs. My dog can't be around other dogs. That's fine. And I understand that. And I'm not saying that I now should go to dog parks with this dog and let him run free and everything else. He was actually in dog parks before that incident happened. He was a finalist on Greatest American Dog and he was playing in dog parks and he had no problem with dogs. It wasn't an issue. It was this one specific thing. But that doesn't mean now that I'm just going to let him be an ass on a leash and be blowing up and pulling and everything else when he sees a dog. He doesn't like other dogs, fine, but I still should be able to control him around other dogs. That doesn't mean other dogs can run up to him or attack him or I put him in situations that would have been compromising for him and his, you know, emotional state because he was scared. He was like the best defense is a good offense in my opinion. But by saying he doesn't like dogs, that doesn't allow your dog now to do whatever the heck he feels like in that exact moment when he sees a dog. Yeah. I mean, I had a dog, one of my first uh, working dogs that developed a lot of dog reactivity on leash and I couldn't get it under control. In fact, I was just making it worse. And it became a situation where uh, he was anticipating a problem. I was anticipating a problem. And lo and behold, we had a big problem. 
and I talked to a few different people at the dog club and this one and that one. Nobody could fix my problem. I didn't decide I can't take this dog out anymore. I kept looking. I found a trainer that could help me, and he fixed the problem in literally eight to ten minutes. He had fixed the problem. He'd, I wasn't able to um, immediately replicate what he did, but seeing that he could do it gave me the hope that, yes, we can get this under control. And I did get it under control relatively quickly after that. But I didn't give up on it. I didn't say, I can't do this and the dog can't do that. I didn't want to give up on the dog and I didn't want that dog's world to be so small that he really couldn't do anything because, God forbid, we see a dog somewhere and he blows up again, you know? Yeah. And, you know, this is a lot about leash reactivity and everything else. And we're not just talking about like your dog has to be perfectly behaved. But the crating example is like a really interesting one because I don't understand what it is about our culture, but we're just like getting rid of crates as soon as the dog doesn't pee in the house and like crates are a bad thing and crates are jail and all of this stuff. And we talk about all the time. It's good for control. It's good for structure. It's good for if you have an injury or something else, a similar thing to that. To interrupt you, sorry, but the crate thing, that's a philosophical thing. We can even not even use that as an example. What about nails? I was leading in. Yeah. Go ahead. We're just on the same we'll talk about these. This water fast is really intertwining I mean, us. Some people just don't like crates, you yeah, know, but nails but, have to be done. Well, you know? th- theoretically, maybe yes or maybe no, but similar to the crating thing, it's fine if your dog behaves well on a leash and you don't have all these behavioral issues that we were talking about. But if your dog, now you're saying my dog can't be groomed. Well, what does that look like? What does that mean? Can you bring your dog to the groomer and the groomer grooms the dog? Because these doodles and everything, like at least right now, as I'm aware, we're not to the point with doodles where we're anesthetizing them to trim their coats. Maybe we're going to get to that point in a few years here if we don't get things handled a little bit better. But if you can't do it, but someone else can do it, what does that mean? What does that mean for your relationship with your dog? If you can't do the teeth, now you were talking about a $400 dental and the dog going under general anesthetic and everything else. Like, Where is that coming from and when did that start and why? And what have you done to maybe take steps to fix that? Because the grooming thing is a really interesting thing. Um, we had clients that had, you know, very nice homes on the water and, you know, fed the best products and paid premium price for training and everything else. And their dog's nails were like, oh, it just freaks me out thinking about it. They were so long that they were like physically affecting the way the dogs would walk. Well, why, why did that get to that point? And honestly, sometimes it is the fact that I can't do it. The groomer can't do it. The vet can't do it. Like we're allowing dogs to get to that point. But then after the dog was with me, I was able to cut its nails. And a lot of the dogs, I'm able to cut the nails really early on because sometimes I couldn't deal with like, okay, it's the end of the program. Like two days in, I'd be like, I can't hear this clicky clacky. Look at the dog. He's walking all funky. I got to fix it. So I'd put the dog on a leash, put the dog in between my legs, have the dog sit, you know, protect my face with my arm, or if they were smaller, flip them over. Like I just controlled the dog and I didn't bring out the nail clippers and then start chasing the dog around. Like the dog started on the leash. There was control there. I didn't just try to rush through all of them with Scott's dog with the uh, teeth. We were talking about that a few weeks back that we were scraping his teeth. What we did is we had him on a table. Scott had a leash on him. I mean, the dog, his bite pressure is insane. He's 70 pounds and he's one of the hardest biting dogs in the country. And a lot of people would attest to that. I mean, it's ridiculous. So He's fine. He allows me to do things, but I muzzle him for nails. I'm not crazy. I'm not going to get myself in a situation where it's an issue. So for teeth, he can't be in a muzzle, right? And I'm scraping and I don't want to have to go put him under. So I was on the table that he was on. Scott had a leash and a collar that he was holding just to protect me if the dog were to turn. And then we had raw food. Like we had his 
food right there on a rubber spoon. So what would happen is I would lift his lip. He's fine with me handling him. But of course, I'm going in there and jabbing this thing and doing stuff he's not used to. And granted, the plaque was actually starting to build up because I've never actually scraped his teeth before. He's never been a dog like that. So we'd do one, scrape it. He got raw food. If he was getting a little stressed, not he didn't like it anymore and he was protesting. So we stopped. But if he was doing well and you could tell that it was going to be too much, we'd give him a little break. We'd go back, but we got the whole mouth done, I'd say, in probably 15 minutes, maybe yeah, less. Yeah, it went really well. In fact, I wanted to videotape it. The next time we do it, we'll video it because... Yeah, I got him so you know, the plaque is all off now. There's no reason to even do it again, but we'll do it just for shits and giggles. But getting back to the nails, I mean, I, we have a good friend that was just telling us this story last week, and it's, it's almost unbelievable to me that he's bringing his dog to the vet to get the nails clipped, which is fine. A lot of people do that. He had to medicate the dog before he brought the dog in so that the vet could clip the nails. With the medication, the vet comes out and says, we just can't do it. It's just too upsetting for the dog. So the next step is general anesthetic. I mean, now you got to knock your dog out, which is dangerous for the dog. It's a lot more money just to do nails, you know, and it's, that's where these dogs get through protesting when they're younger, deciding, I don't really like this. I'm not comfortable. And then having people say, backing off, just second-guessing everything they're doing, just saying, shoot, I guess the dog doesn't like it. Maybe we should stop. And to a point where you can't do anything with the dog, you know? it's uh, and, and then it gets to a point where I guess you really can't do it, where the dog is going to get super aggressive. But we have not had a dog in our care. And again, we've had thousands of dogs that we've had in for boarding and training that we could not clip the nails on. We just have not had one dog that we couldn't, the two of us, clip the dog's nails. Yeah. And it's just basic management and it's not the groomer's job or the vet's job to be like, you know, dog whisperers and handlers and everything else. So like you guys need to step up and think as soon as the next time you say, my dog can't, my dog won't like, where is that coming from? When did that start? And why is that happening in the first place? Another good one is my dog can't be left alone. Well, what does that mean? Like you will always have someone there. And this does happen sometimes. Like people rotate, like the one like owner stays and then the owner leaves and it's been months and months and years and years that the dog's never been alone in the house. But what if an ambulance has to come and take somebody and you both go to the hospital? Like, what does that look like then? Like my dog can't be left alone. Well, why? Like, where is that stemming from? And what have you done to try to fix that? And is the dog constantly following you? And are you constantly, you know, catering to the dog when the dog whines? And maybe that's contributing to the whole thing. So just think a little bit deeper about these things, because it came to Scott a few weeks ago, um, this whole concept. And I thought, yeah, that's an interesting idea. And then I was in this group, guys, and I I had to leave the group. I was in it for like two days and I just couldn't stand it. But it's everybody is my dog can't, my dog won't, my dog, you know, used to be able to do this, but not anymore. And all the answers are like, oh, try this dental treat, try this bone, try this, this. Just try going back to what worked originally and get it to work again because it's better for the dog long term and for you long term. And that's why we say with people that come in with puppies or they rescue a young dog to work them through all this stuff when they're young so that it just becomes a part of their life. Just like with our children, we make them get up in the morning and brush their teeth and wash their face, whether they like it or not. Ideally. It's not optional. I'm assuming it's not optional, you know? And when it's time, and I say this to people all the time, they say, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. I say, well, what about your kid? If your kid doesn't want to take a bath, do they, they don't, they don't get clean anymore. They go in whether they like it or not. But with a dog, people are very hands-off now, you know? Yeah, but it's for the betterment of the dog and the family and yourself. It's so, just for um, basic health reasons, grooming, and, you know, that's for the dogs. You shouldn't even be able to own a dog if you can't keep it clean and healthy. That's just part of 
management or, you know, basic stuff. A lot of people do those. So think of your limiting beliefs. Think of the limiting beliefs you may be imposing on your dog. Next week, we are going to have the owners of the Sensor Push Company, a company we really believe in with us. I can't wait for that. Um, And if you need anything, you can write us at studio at thequirkydog.com. And in the meantime, keep it quirky. Thanks, guys. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.